Now, one of the things that I love about our church is that we, we like, there's a lot of different people that go here. You know what I'm saying? Let me say it a different way. Well, we, we, have, we have a lot of, I don't know how else to say it, we have a lot of different people that go here. Now, don't point. You know what I'm saying? But we have a lot of, we have a big variety of people that go here, and I love that. And when you have this large of a diversity in one group of people, you have a lot of differences of opinions. You have, you know, likes and dislikes and preferences, and people see things different ways. Like, for example, now, now don't, don't respond yet. Let, let, me, let me set it up. What I want to ask is how many of you like Christmas music? Now, don't respond to that. Because you have to let me explain it for a minute. What I mean is, you don't like it, you love it. What I mean is, is you think when we get to heaven, all they're going to be playing is Christmas music back to back to back. I'm talking about you find some remote station somewhere on earth that starts playing in October, and you dial it in, and you start listening to Christmas music in October, and you stretch it as long as you can. Uh, late into January, you're still, you still found somewhere on earth that's the satellite radio or something, and you're still listening. I'm talking about you absolutely love it. Let me see your hand. Raise your hand. Just leave it up. It's okay. Leave it up. Leave it up. Now, don't put your hand down. Don't put your hand down. Everybody with your hand down hates you. I just need you to know that. <laughs> you understand that? You understand what I'm saying? Because you, you need to turn it off. So all I'm saying is you put your hand down. There's a lot of different, they don't really hate you. A lot of different preferences. And, and, and you know, in, in gift giving, some of you have this thing, right, that, that it's like Monopoly. You're not getting your $200 until you pass go. Nothing's being opened under, under my roof till December 25th. That is the day, and no presents. Can we just open on Christmas Eve? No, you don't open nothing Christmas Eve. Can we just share a present? Because No, you can't share a present early. Some of you are those people that you don't let one thing be open early ever, 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 ever. That's just kind of your deal. How many of you are that people? December 25th, that's the day. That's the day we're not opening nothing early. There's evil in your heart. I just need you to know. <laughs> you know, hey, lighten up, right? It's Christmas. Some of you are Christmas turkey. Some of you Christmas ham. How many of you are ham? How many of you are turkey? How many of you are some kind of meat I didn't even name? Okay, okay well, all right, the rest of you. And, and then there's the eggnog or not people. I think most people are not. Eggnog, right? You ever tasted it? it must, it's the idea. But look, no matter who you are, no matter what you like, no matter what you dislike, no matter where you come from, no matter how long you've been here at Kingwood, no matter your ethnicity, your cultural background, no matter how long you've been a Christian or if you're not one, we all have one thing in common. No, nobody in this room likes to feel like they're alone. Nobody. That's one thing we have in common. No one likes the feeling of being alone. Now, you may be thinking, oh, I love to be alone. You may be like a mom with four kids under 10, and your dream is, is that they'll drop you off somewhere and forget you and can't find you, and you're gone. You're finally free. Free at last, right? Some, some of you over the next few days are going to be forced to spend time with people that someone told you when you were a kid was your family. And, and, and you go, I would much rather be alone. Like, I would rather be stuck in the desert with no sunscreen than spend Christmas, you know, with those folks. 
Now, I'm not saying be alone. I'm saying feel alone. Everybody wants to be alone sometime. But nobody likes the feeling of being alone. The feeling that you're alone, that nobody understands, that nobody knows what you're going through, that nobody cares, that nobody really knows you. Nobody likes that feeling, but the reality is there are people here today that you have that exactly, even though you're surrounded by people, and even though we celebrate together, and even though you clap with us, and even though you sing with us, and even though you may have family around you, if you're honest this morning, there's this feeling inside of you that you're alone. And the world has a way of doing that to us, doesn't it? The world has a way of making us feel like that. And maybe you, maybe you feel that way because you faced some challenges this year that shook you up. You know, the truth is, when we get shaken up, we all have a tendency of feeling alone, like we're by ourselves. When we get shaken up, stirred up, something went wrong, something we didn't expect has happened, we all have the feeling that we're alone, and it's not long before we start turning that feeling toward God and saying, now God, it looks like to me that you're not even aware of what I'm going through if you were aware then I can't see that you know you, you don't seem to be doing anything. You don't seem to be helping in any way. You don't seem to be, you know, responding. And some of us aren't shook up. Some of us might be messed up. Because we made some decisions this year that we say, after what I've done, there's no way that God can still accept me or love me or care about me or help me. I got an email last week, and one of the questions, the main question in the email was this, do you think someone can be too far gone to where God won't love them anymore? That's the question I got emailed to me. That's a question being asked that most of us have asked at some point. But that's a question coming from a person who feels alone. Do you think after what I've done, God can still care about me? There's that feeling again. But the most lonely people that I know are not necessarily those that are shaken up or messed up, but some of the most lonely people I know are religious people. People who say, now I'm going to go to church and I'm going to read my Bible and I'm going to pray and I'm going to have such good behavior that God is going to be so impressed with me that God is going to have to love me. People who have religion without a relationship are some of the loneliest people on earth. But that's where we come and bring all our stuff at Christmas. And we all are drawn by the Holy Spirit, back to this Christmas story. There's, there's a phenomenal invitation in, in Jesus' birth. Jesus' birth is a reminder to us whether we've been shaken up, messed up, religious, whatever our background is, whatever our preference is, however we celebrate Christmas, it doesn't matter. This is an invitation to us that says, you're never alone. That's what Jesus' birth means. Jesus' birth was supernatural. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that Jesus was born 
from a virgin rather than born from any other woman. Why is that important? Why does the Bible prophesy that he would be born in Bethlehem hundreds of years before he is? Why did Isaiah say Jesus would be born in human flesh? It's not a miracle that you and I are human. It is a huge miracle that God was one. That's a phenomenal miracle. Why did the Bible prophesy, prophesy that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David? Now, there's a lot of good answers to all of those questions, but today I want to just zero in on one of them. These things happen supernaturally, and all supernatural things have one thing in common that is, that is a message that is hidden in the Christmas story. They tell us something about God. Beyond the effect of the miracle, there is a message buried deep in every miracle that echoes some message to our soul, that echoes some thought, some truth. Miracles are messages and miracles are signs. They are signs that tell us something. And here's what they tell us. God is present. They remind us when we see the supernatural, we're reminded that God really is real. God really is present. God really is working. God really does care. He sees. He's aware. He's with us. Jesus' birth was a miracle. And that miracle communicates to you and I that God is here and He loves us. The older I get, the more I understand that miracles are a means to an end. In other words, they're worth more than what they do. They're worth more than what they accomplish. God can supernaturally provide for you, but you'll consume it and I'll consume it, and we'll need again. <laughs> right? He can supernaturally provide. But we're going to have another need once that one's met. More than what miracles do for us, they are important because of what they tell us. They tell us God's Christmas promise is still true. He is Emmanuel. He's God that is here. He's with us. So if you, if you were healed physically this year, or maybe you had a miraculous provision, you got a raise, you got a job, something showed up in the mail, some, some provision that you didn't think that this, these circumstances had any way on earth, in your natural eye, there was no way they were going to work out, and they did work out, and you say, okay, only God could do that. If you had those moments this year, if you had times you didn't know what to do, but somehow God infused your mind with wisdom that you didn't have, and somehow you saw your way through. If any of those things happened to you this year, those supernatural moments, more important than what they did is what they tell you. What they tell you is God loves you and God is with you and the Christmas promise is still true. So I want to show that to you for a minute in Scripture. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah 7, 14, we read this thought of Emmanuel, which is Jesus' name, which just means God is with us. Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. And what will be the sign that God will give to the earth. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God gave the whole world a son 
It was that Jesus was born from a virgin and that supernatural act, more than just being a birth, was a message that said, I hear you, I see you, I know you, I know how you feel, I know what you're going through, I know your inner thoughts, and I love you and I'm present with you. And then in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, we see the same thought again. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. What does that mean? He's not against you. He's for you. And then, after Jesus' death and resurrection... Or, or, or just before, he reiterates again in Matthew 28, 20. Jesus has died, he rose from the dead, and he gives his disciples a last thought. And here's what his last thought is. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. I am still, even after the death and resurrection of Jesus, he says to us, I am still Emmanuel. Nothing will change that. So in a few minutes, we're going to receive communion. And, and I was thinking, what would Christmas be without communion? It would be another holiday. If Jesus was born and never died a sacrificial death, what would, what would Christmas be? It would be an incredible beginning with no meaningful end. Most of human history would dismiss Jesus if he were only born and never died, never, never was crucified. On the other hand, what would communion be without Christmas? <laughs> it would be just another ritual. It would be just another meal. It would be just another routine that we went through with no meaning that God is Emmanuel, and he's, he's with us. So this morning, before we receive communion, I've asked uh, Pastor Clark is going to come, and he's going to share a really neat story with you of something that happened in Honduras. Uh, we've made a partnership called the Honduras Alliance with a local church, orphanage, men's teen challenge center, and a, one of our teams... Just went. We've made a long-term partnership, so we've taken several trips. We've got several more, several more scheduled. If you haven't been on one of the teams yet, but in the last trip that uh, our church took, Clark was leading a team and worked that week, and uh, he calls this story the Communion of the Saints, which I think is a, a beautiful story. So, Clark, come and share that story with us. Thank you, Pastor Jay. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of meaningful stories uh, come out of every mission trip, but this one, uh, though it's very simple, it just kind of stood out to me, and I came home and I wrote it down because I didn't want to lose it, and I'm happy today to share it with you. So if you'll be patient with me as I read this, I want to get the details of it right. We are fresh off of an outstanding experience of missions work in Honduras with a team 46 strong, anchored by Kingwood personnel, but interwoven with men and women from other churches. We worked in partnership with a dynamic Honduran church that has planted outreach ministries to both orphans and to drug-addicted young men 
on a piece of property where we took our team to work and minister. My role in leading missions teams is to plan well, to resource team members to do what they are called and gifted to do, and then to get out of their way so that they can let their gifts flow during our trip. A missions team leader gets teased about not working in the same way that a pastor gets teased about only working the hour a week that he's preaching. But that's okay because I know where I'm adding the greatest value and I also know I've learned when I would just be in the way. We had an exceptional group in Honduras last month filled with people willing to use their gifts. Making this team more special was the pervasive humility and unity uh, of, of the team members. And so I realized fairly early in the week this would be an easy team to lead. As we labored to lay block on a 6,000 square foot dining hall, I allowed the experts to do what they do, and I floated from task to task as needed, always aware my greatest value is to be a liaison to the missionary as well as to the leaders of the orphanage and the Teen Challenge Drug Recovery Ministry. One of the joys of this trip was the ministry time that we had with the young men at Teen Challenge. In this program, true transformation takes place as the power of God breaks the chains of addiction off the lives of these young men. The structure of the program creates the discipline needed for spiritual growth that can be sustained. Part of that structure involves keeping these guys busy working when they are not in class or worshiping. The work varies from farming to working with livestock to laboring in the wood shop and other forms of manual labor. As our team worked to lay over 2,000 block on the new dining hall, Teen Challenge supplied us with a group of guys to mix the mortar needed for this task. Each day that we worked, they worked. And each night, we ministered to these guys in a service for them. In reality, they ministered to us as we witnessed their hunger, their brokenness, and their passion to worship God. We saw several men in the program come to faith in these services, and many more find freedom in powerful times of altar ministry. It seemed that each new morning as we returned to the work site, the joy among our Honduran brothers on the mud crew continued to grow. Though we had few Spanish speakers on our team, we did have a Brazilian minister from Kingwood, Newton Pereira. Newton's sitting right there. He was a vibrant witness to the Teen Challenge guys through his spirited exhortation of these men. Newton, who was four months removed from a debilitating stroke, he had worked very hard to recover so that he could go on this trip and be part of this project. And though he could only work with part of his body, he worked with all of his heart. And he was an inspiration not only to the guys in Teen Challenge, but also to our team. As the week wore on, Pastor Newton and I found a home in the Teen Challenge Mud Crew. Not really because they needed us, but perhaps because we needed them. The camaraderie that developed with Eddie, Julio, Harold, Carlos, Caesar, Fernando, and Victor was something special. Newton made sure these guys got plenty of Gatorade, and I was proud to introduce them to the joys of uh, Little Debbie Oatmeal Cream Pies. 
the final work day of the trip arrived, by now there was a, a special bond as the work with them by day, worship with them by night routine had really melted into something deeper and more relational and more organic. We were brothers, equal in God's eyes, united in purpose and spirit, joined together for a season in His work. Well, it was now time to mix the last batch of mud for the week. Carlos handed me the shovel so I could do what took him about half the amount of time to do. And the crew watched with contained smirks as I tried not to pass out doing it. Finally, we delivered the last of our mud into the waiting wheelbarrows. And then one of our crew walked back up with an armload of supplies. He arrived at the humble headquarters of our mud mixing and pulled out a two-liter Coke, several bags of chips, and a stack of cups. Instinctively, I assumed that this was an afternoon snack for them, not for us. But then Carlos handed a cup to me, and in broken English, he said, Take it. Another of the crew handed a bag of chips to me. They did the same for Pastor Newton. For the next several moments, we all feasted together on these simple elements with smiles and laughter as we celebrated what God had done. In that humble atmosphere, I realized what a sacred moment I was experiencing. We were not celebrating the building of a physical structure, but instead the building up of the body of Christ. The table which brought us together is the same one that brings believers of all ages together. The elements which we shared called to mind the sacrifice required so that we would not be sentenced to separation from God and from each other. The power of those elements extended to me and to Newton as outsiders to that group called to mind the power of the invitation to others, our invitation to others, whose spirits are stirred to draw near to God along the rails of human relationships. It made me think, the next time I receive communion, I will have a different picture in my mind. The word communion means an act or instance of sharing. Among all the benefits of observing communion, may we never lose the awareness that this is an open table which we have the privilege to share with those who simply wait on our life and our words to invite them. So this morning we approach this table understanding that we're part of a community, a family. What would communion mean if you took it at home by yourself? But today, we share the communion meal together. So I'm going to ask our servers if you would come and prepare um, the communion elements. And as they're coming, I love the story that Clark shared because it gets up underneath the true meaning of communion. Communion is, is this way, but it's also this way. We don't just share communion in remembrance of what Jesus did alone. We share it with the family of Christ. We share it as Christians. We share it as 
believers. And so in a minute, I'm going to invite you to come and take the elements and, and go back to your seat. Then we'll give you more instruction. But today, if you're not a believer, I want to encourage you to observe and, and not to take communion. If you are, and that's completely okay with us, if you are a believer and this is the time that you search your heart and ask, okay, God, is everything with you and I okay? This is a great reminder to keep your relationship with God fresh and strong and clean. And so as you receive the elements and go back to your seat, if, if you need to have some prayer there, I encourage you, do that.